So how to Crispica just snuck up on us, and you've waited and waited all year to get your carpet cleaned. Getting your carpet zero res clean makes your home healthier to get rid of the bacteria and dust bites and dander lurking in your carpet. This month, get three rooms zero res clean starting at $129. Plus, this month, you can get great deals getting your air duct zero res clean. So call zero res today because your family deserves a clean, fresh-smelling home for the holidays. That's 952-ZERO-RES or visit ZeroResMN.com. Zero Res, spell it backward or forward, it spells the same. Join us at also Inga Bretson's Coffee Bar and Gava Boutique, which is Norwegian for gift shop, at Norway House on East Franklin Avenue, where we can help you find the perfect Nordic-style gift. After shopping, enjoy a waffle dog, a favorite snack in Norway, which translates well here. A hot dog dressed with Jarlsberg cheese and topped with lingonberry jam, wrapped in a warm waffle. Also, Ingebretsen's Coffee Bar and Gava Boutique is located within the Norway House at 913 East Franklin Avenue and online at ingebretsen's.com. This is Bill McLeslie, owner of IP House in Minneapolis. Many businesses don't know their cloud server is unsupported until they actually need support. It takes only one bad experience in dealing with the big name providers to see why I started IP House. We provide support no matter which cloud you're on, theirs or ours. Our staff is located right here in the Twin Cities and is on call 24 hours a day. And if you don't want the cloud, we can help you there too. Call us, 612-337-6337. Hey, it's Mike McEntee back here on AM950. You can actually hear me today. There is some worry about that for a little while. We were we were off the air for a time over the holiday, over Christmas, and uh, it's all sorts of things just weren't working. You know, it's cold out. I, Brett, did that have anything to do with it, or is it just like things just stopped working? What what happened to it? It was a combination of a lot of things that weren't working, including our backup generator. So. Who knows what it was? Maybe it was some Trump elves. Maybe it was the cold. But we uh, are still investigating the cause. You put up a picture of a Trump elf on uh, on social media on Facebook to let everybody know that we were off the air. So it was appropriate. I remember when when I was working in TV, I would get uh, you know, something would happen. You know, th- things go off the air, and we get phone calls from people saying, "Can't you put up a slide saying that you're off the air?" <laughs> of course, back then, there was no such thing as Facebook, but at least these days we can do that and tell people that we're. this is why we're off the air. So, But we're back today. We're back. We're alive on your radio, so all of your, your favorite programs, uh, Tom, Stephanie, and uh, Matt and myself are, are all back here with you. So, uh, you know, have no fear. We're, we're, we're all back. We're here for you. So... Um, one of the big stories that happened yesterday, and it was, uh, uh, I, th- I think it's overdue, uh, Attorney General Lori Swanson here finally decided that she was going to join this lawsuit that all the other state attorneys general have uh, put in to overturn the federal decision that uh, repeals the rule designed to keep Internet free and open, actually what we call um, Internet neutrality. And this is uh, uh, challenging the FCC's recent overturning of net neutrality. Uh, and it, as, as we've talked about many times on this program, that's something that can cause us to end up spending money for, you know, if you want Twitter access, that's going to be an extra, you know, 10 bucks. Or if you want, you know, this, it's going to be the, and that it can just suddenly all these uh Companies like Comcast, which, are, hey, we're going to give out bonuses, Comcast, because we know we're going to be making a lot of money, extra money from consumers, as well as, you know, uh, you know, media like AM 950 
or the uptake uh, being charged more if you want your uh, stuff to go out in, quote, the fast lane. And suddenly, you know, uh, Comcast and other companies are going to be able to discriminate uh, and say, well, you know, we make money by this being faster than this, and therefore we're going to do that. And the heck with, you know, having to, uh, uh, you know, uh, be fair about it. And you say, well, but that's not going to happen. And the thing is, yes, it's already happened. It's happened before. And that's why the regulations were put in place. And the FCC has had to crack down on this. Now, of course, the Trump administration being in charge, saying, hey, businesses can do anything they want. They make money. That's good for all of us. We know that that's not the case. So anyway, Swanson finally got involved in this. She sent out, interestingly enough, it was an email not sent out to the media, but it was sent out to her supporters, her political supporters. I'm on that list. I got that. And it uh, it just kind of reinforces to me that this is a political decision by her. It is something she's doing to win favor with the base and that you say, well, she's probably running for attorney general again. Well, yeah, she might be, but she's won that very, very handily in the past. And everybody, I mean, you walk into the Capitol and you talk to anybody who covers politics, they're expecting her to announce that she is going to be running for governor. And it's a question of when. And the nice thing is, as attorney general, you get to, you know, do these types of things, get your name in the headlines and not have to, you know, uh, worry about fundraising or campaign committee and all those things. And you can, you know, you can bide your time, especially if you are not going to abide by the endorsement. And a lot of people expect if she gets involved in the race, that's going to be the case. She's not going to be going for the DFL endorsement and, and will not have to uh, uh, you know, go through that whole process and will just run on the primary. So anyway, that's the significance of yesterday's uh political news on there so the news today of course is cold 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 and if you have not been paying attention you've been burrowed under a rock someplace you know and that's called hibernation uh, you are probably going to be cooped up inside today which means if someone's had the sniffles or uncle john sneezed into the cheese dip at christmas and you later had some ooh, there's a chance you will come down with some sort of cold very soon now americans catch about one billion colds every year and most of us reach for some of the over-counter medicines to treat it but if you're not careful there's a danger looking in those medicines now we're going to get the straight answers from uh, dr veronica vernon who's a clinical pharmacy specialist about what you should and should not be doing about that and then we all know that donald trump and the republicans have vowed to slash regulations with the promise that fewer regulations will lead to a more robust economy well that sounds good in practice, the exact opposite may be true when it comes to those regulations banks and financial institutions have to abide by. We're going to talk about that today with the Center for American Progress. But coming up next on the program, you've heard about CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program. It provides low-cost health insurance to about 9 million children, including many here in Minnesota. It has bipartisan support, but because Republicans spent all their time in Washington focused on tax cuts that largely benefited the wealthy, it's in danger of expiring. The good news is it got extended just before Congress went home for the holidays. The bad news is it was only extended until about March or early February, depending on what analysis you read of all this. So 
that means the program is still in danger of, of expiring. In Minnesota, that means the state could be with, stuck with a deficit. So on the program today, we have a never-before-aired interview with Mother Jones reporter Edwin Rios about CHIP that we recorded just before Congress voted for the extension. But the issues we cover are still very much the same. That's all coming up here next on The Mike McEntee Show. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. It's a good day to be indigenous. Native Earth Radio presents I'm Awake. Our weekly Native American talk radio show will discuss national and local Native American news and events. Local and national guests will help us keep current with Mother Earth, tribal, and Twin City issues. Native American issues are human issues. We invite all people to walk hand-in-hand with our struggles, victories, and achievements. Listen Saturdays at 2 p.m. I am awake. Lawmakers are trying to pass new anti-LGBT legislation. How does this affect you? Is your family protected? Do you have the right to make medical and financial decisions for your family? Are you the legal parent to your children? If you are unsure of the answers to these questions, it is important that you call Unique Estate Law now. This is Chris Timchuk. I have worked with countless LGBT families to protect their rights. Protect your rights now at uniqueestatelaw.com or call 952-260-1806. Atheists Talk is the radio show for free-thinking Minnesotans. Listen on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Every Sunday we bring you science, philosophy, politics, and plain old fun from an atheist point of view. Visit our website at minnesotaatheists.org for more details. Tune in to Atheists Talk Radio Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's good radio without the good book. Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club is delighted to offer its spacious facilities for your private function. From weddings, retirement parties, business dinners, or any special occasion, Crooner's combines a dedicated, full-service special events team, an award-winning chef, and a beautiful lakeside ambiance to make your event a resounding success. Visit croonersloungemn.com to learn more about their private dining options, or call 763-571-9020 to get a quote for your next event today. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now, before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Mike McEntee Show. Congress still has not renewed the Children's Health Insurance Program. It's a bipartisan-backed program that covers millions of low-income kids whose families earn too much to qualify for Medicaid. So unless Congress acts in Minnesota, those funds will run out this month, creating a projected budget deficit for the state. 
Now, just about everybody in Congress agrees the program's a great thing, great thing, but why hasn't funding been renewed? Joining us to talk about that is Mother Jones reporter Edwin Rios. Edwin, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. So let's talk about the program first, because this is something that, you know, we, we keep hearing about CHIP. How much is the need for CHIP, and how, how many kids, how many states are involved in this thing? Yeah, so basically the Children's Health CHIP, uh, or known as like the Children's Health Insurance Program, um, basically it, it helps uh, nearly 9 million low-to-middle-income low uh, kids, basically the kids who whose families earn a, a little too much uh, to qualify for Medicaid. And um, it also it also helps um, uh, pregnant, like about 370,000 uh, pregnant mothers. And and basically, what it does is, you know, it's a it's a low cost uh, health insurance program that helps um, pay for you know routine everything from routine checkups to hospital visits um, for for these kids. Um, and it's been around, you know, it's been around since 90, uh, 1997, and and. Um, and it's been fairly popular, and so, uh, uh, and so that's so that's. I mean, that's the crux crux of it here. I mean, um, it, it's basically paying for uh, routine checkups. For, uh, so this, is pre- this is preventative care. It's going to prevent uh, things from becoming more expensive. That could be, you know, even you know, more more of a burden on uh, on you know the taxpayer system and everything like that. If you know, or or the families themselves. So it's it's a great idea. It's it's something that's uh, done pretty well here. So the question is. What's up? Why hasn't it been funded, and why is it being allowed to lapse in the first place? That's a, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, um, it, and like I said, it has been very popular on, on both sides of the aisle. I mean, it was started by um, it was started by you know Senator Orrin Hatch out of Utah, and and um, with and um, with uh, Senator Ed Kennedy. Um, and uh, back in '97, and so there's there has been bipartisan support, and um, you know recent polling has uh, shown that you know uh, people do see it as a top priority for the, uh, for President Trump and and Congress for this reauthorization of CHIP, and um, and and why it hasn't why it's lapsed. I mean, it's it comes down to political priorities. I think. Um, when the uh, program was up for reauthorization, um, Congress was dealing with uh, kind of you know the repeal of the Reportable Care Act, and um, so there was so much focus on that. And and now with the focus is turned to turning to you know tax reform, it's kind of like fall, uh, chip has fallen by the wayside, and um, and so we're just waiting. It's kind of like we're playing a waiting game at this point. Um, when it comes, to, which is, which doesn't seem great when it comes to uh, uh, the health insurance of you know nine million kids. You mentioned Senator Orrin Hatch. Now he's taken some heat here recently. He was a guy who you know was originally behind this whole thing, but when he was speaking on the floor, he said that uh, the reason Chip hasn't been funded is there's no money. Uh, and this is the Republicans who are approving a tax cut where most of the money goes to the wealthy. It would add trillions to the deficit. He also said that he had, quote, a rough time wanting to spend billions and billions of trillions of dollars to help people who can't help themselves, won't lift a finger, and expect federal government to do everything. Uh, he, he later clarified that he wasn't talking about the CHIP program, but he made that comment. But it just seems like timing and optics here are really bad. What, do, what does this say about the politics of the whole issue here? I think I think what it's saying is is... Um, 
this this is one of those casualties of um, this is a casualty of um, of uh, the, of Congress's kind of fights. You know, um, I think CHIP is one of those programs that um, it is it's 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 a slow burning problem in that like you know states still have money um, to to kind of run their programs, but they're they're losing out on the federal funds and that's what and that's and that's what's um causing a lot of issues here and um it's raising concerns from you know state officials and 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 parents alike um but it hasn't effectively like you know kids haven't lost coverage yet and and i think that's i think that's part of the reason why like um uh you know congress isn't like you know, actively fighting for you know a, a change here. I think Orrin Hatch has, and to, to Hatch's credit, I think he he, he and Ron Wyden kind of um, uh, you know there was a bill that passed out of the Senate Finance Committee, a bipartisan bill that would fund the program uh, for five years. But um, but uh, you know, the Senate hasn't picked it up. Um, as a uh, to vote on it, um, there was also a House bill that passed that would fund uh, CHIP, but um, the bill itself would pay for um, pay for those um, pay for that funding through kind of cutting public health programs and uh, other public health programs and raising kind of pre- uh, Medicaid premiums for wealthy older Americans. So I think there's there is a um, kind of there is a, a fight. Brewing a little bit about over, you know, how are we going to fund this program? And so that might be part of the reason why, you know, it hasn't gotten done yet. We're speaking with Mother Jones reporter Edwin Rios. So Congress just recently did a thing to keep the whole government running here for a couple more weeks while things get negotiated and figured out. CHIP was sort of part of that, but it really hasn't extended that program at all, has it? It has it. And, and, and um, it's something that, uh, you know, Supporters of the program um, are kind of disappointed about uh, when when Congress passed its short-term funding bill um, for two weeks uh, to kind of pick up uh, the the spending fight at the end of the at the end of the month. It, it passed a rule that allows basically the Centers for Medicaid and uh, and um, Medical Services to you know dole, essentially dole out reserve funds for states that are running out of money. So. Um, uh, particularly the ones that are running out of money the fastest, as opposed to those um, who, uh, you know, doling out that money on a proportional basis. And so that's great. That's great for a handful of states, like including, you know, Minnesota. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, solve the longer term problem, which is uh, the lapse in funding and what that means for um, states um, in in the months to come. I mean, there there are states that, you know. Uh, Kaiser Family Foundation just came out with a report that that a, a third of states, you know, anticipate exhausting federal funds um, by the end of January, and um, that number is going to that number would grow to, um, you know, uh, more than half of states by the end of March. And so, um, so just because there, you know, there has been this short term, you know. Um, Role change doesn't mean that you know the funding problems go away. Yeah, you have a great map over at uh, MotherJones.com with the story that shows exactly when things run out for various states. Minnesota being one of the very first ones. 
here's the question. When the money does run out, some states obviously start picking up the tab. Some states can't or won't. So what happens to the people who are using this program? Are they just left high and dry then? In a way. I mean, what happens is, um, like, it'll be up to the states to basically decide um, whether to, uh, you know, freeze uh, freeze enrollment into those programs, which could limit the amount of people who can then kind of, you know, enroll in those programs, um, but... Uh, or take even more drastic steps. I mean, um, some states like Arizona and, and um, like like Arizona and West Virginia um, kind of have it in their state laws that they would have to terminate the programs altogether if funding kind of falls below a certain point. Um, West Virginia has already indicated that um, that might be the case, that uh, that the program would have to end in um on like February 28th of 2018, if Congress fails to uh, pass a spending measure, um, but when it comes to people's coverage, I think we won't necessarily see um, we won't necessarily see people losing coverage until states have to reckon with what they're going to do with the what, what they're going to do with their programs now. Some states, like like in uh, Minnesota in, uh, in particular, like it. Uh, the CHIP program is kind of part of the Medicaid, uh, the state Medicaid program. So, you know, the state will still have to kind of um, uh, cover these kids and try to transition families to uh, the Medicaid program. But um, other states, like, it is part of a separate program. And so, um, and these separate and these separate programs could, you know, they could shut down or the states would have to, you know, find money elsewhere to kind of uh, cover costs. So the reason that we're in this situation, it sounds like, is that Congress has been, quote, distracted by all the other politics that's going on. I don't think that things are going to get less distracting in the coming years. So is it how likely is it that this thing is going to pass it, You know, this year or next year? When will it be saved? When can it be saved? I think... Um, I think, well, well uh, something to watch will be the end of the year, the end of the year spending bill. I think there is indication that uh, there's a strong sense that, you know, Congress will have to get something done. And um, and it may be just tucked away in the end of the year spending bill um, just to extend the program, just to fund it. Um, but there will be, a, there will have to be a longer term fix. Um, I think given that, you know, there are bills that have passed, you know, either the House uh, or the Senate uh, committees, like, I think um, that is some indication that there is something that um, Congress, this is something that Congress wants to do. I think the question is whether or not um, they'll get it done um, as part of the the end of the year spending bill. Um, and the longer they wait, the, the, the more states are going to be watching and have to um, take action. They'll, they'll either have to send notices to families um, who could be at risk of losing coverage and, you know, informing them that they may have to, you know, transition to private insurance. Um, or, uh, or they'll have to, you know, take some actions as to, um, with, their, with their own programs. It uh, is an interesting problem, not just for the country, but especially here in Minnesota. We're going to be watching it very carefully to see what, hap- see what happens here. Mother Jones reporter Edwin Rios, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me.
A reminder that that interview was recorded before Congress passed an extension to CHIP last week, but that extension is scheduled to run out in February or March. Next up, the fever for slashing regulations in Washington. It's supposed to be good for business, but is it really? We'll find out next year on AM 950, The Mike McEntee Show. Tom Harmon here letting you know that better energy is finally affordable. With All Energy Solar, Minnesota's number one local home solar provider, you can go solar with little or no money down. Qualified property owners could even see a return on investment in less than one year. Excel Energy's Solar Rewards Incentive Program is available first come, first serve, and federal tax credits are available for a very limited time. Schedule your free solar assessment today. Visit allenergysolar.com. That's allenergysolar.com. Hi, I'm Kirk Duckwall with Bricks Real Estate, here to let you know the Twin Cities Real Estate Show is back. Tune in each Sunday starting at noon to keep up with the latest news in the Twin Cities real estate market. You can also catch my business partner, Chad Vandalot, and myself as we fill you in on the most up-to-date tools, trends, and technology to give you the edge when buying or selling. Again, that's the Twin Cities Real Estate Show on this station, Sundays starting at noon. Seward Co-op invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Shop Seward for your holiday meals. Currently offering local, free-range Ferndale turkeys and vegetarian options, fresh seasonal produce, house-made pies, other assorted baked goods, and locally made gifts at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coop. Who's your most trusted companion? Who's with you 24-7? What do you never leave home without? Your phone. But the screen is shattered. Don't panic. Bring it to Computer Revolution with cell phone repair. We have over 18 years experience fixing computer devices, all brands, all carriers. We'll replace that screen and have it back same day. Computer Revolution with cell phone repair in Roseville at Highway 36 in Fairview. Or call 651-633-6600. We fix phones same day seven days a week. Burger Moe's is the perfect neighborhood gathering spot before and after Excel Center events or anytime. Moe is serious about burgers, offering 20 fresh, never frozen varieties. Burger Moe's also offers delicious appetizers, soups, salads, as well as unburgers, dogs, paninis, shakes, and desserts. Not to mention more than 60 beers on tap and happy hours twice daily. Burger Moe's is located at 242 West 7th Street in St. Paul with plenty of free parking and online at BurgerMoe's.com. Tune in for Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. Coming up, what's next? Death and the afterlife. What's next? Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Well, you sound pretty confident, Ken. Why are you so sure there's no afterlife? Because it's not compatible with a scientific worldview. Well, maybe the scientific worldview is wrong. Death and the afterlife, next time on Philosophy Talk. Catch Philosophy Talk every Sunday at 8 a.m. and again at 5 p.m. on AM 950. You're listening to AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the most informative source for progressive politics and news in the Twin Cities. Get involved online at am950radio.com where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, check out the local businesses that help make this content available, and stay up to date on the latest news and upcoming events. You can always reach us by email at comment at am950radio.com. That's comment at am950radio.com. Thanks for listening.
Ring in 2018 with the Park Tavern. It's the Park Tavern's annual New Year's Eve Cosmic Rock and Bowl. December 31st, receive unlimited cosmic bowling from 9.30 p.m. until 1.30 a.m. Enjoy their complimentary pizza buffet, great drink specials, a DJ, all taking you up to midnight with the champagne toast. There's no cover, but it's 21 and over, $25 per person for bowling, and you need reservations. On Louisiana Avenue, north of Highway 7 in St. Louis Park, and at parktavern.net, ring in 2018 with the New Year's Eve Cosmic Rock and Bowl at the Park Tavern. This is AM 950, KTNF, St. Louis Park, Minneapolis, St. Paul. The progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to the Mike McEntee Show. Donald Trump and Republicans have vowed to slash regulations with the promise that fewer regulations will lead to a more robust economy. While that sounds good, in practice, the exact opposite may be true when it comes to the regulations banks and financial institutions have to abide by. Joining me to talk about that is Greg Galzinis from the Center for American Progress. Greg, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, before we talk about cutting regulations, let's talk about why we have the current banking regulations, the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, the full name, therefore, that was put into place in the wake of the Great Recession. What were those changes, and why were those made? Yeah, so I think whenever you're talking about um, Dodd-Frank and the financial crisis, it's really important to first you know, mention the cost of the crisis. So 10 million people lost their homes. Unemployment skyrocketed to 10%. Between 15 and $20 trillion in wealth was wiped out. Um, so absolutely staggering, staggering costs. And, and those costs are still being borne by people across the country, um, today, so I say that at the outset because you know some of these uh, rules and regulations that we discuss really you know are esoteric and they get in the weeds, but it, we can't lose sight of of what we're actually talking about and how it impacts um, real people. So the goal of Dodd Frank really was to improve the resiliency uh, of our financial system. It in- increased the loss absorbing capital requirements, created new liquidity requirements to ensure that banks can meet their obligations during times of stress. Banks are now stress-tested. They plan for their orderly failure. Um, Dodd-Frank created a new systemic risk regulatory body called the Financial Stability Oversight Council. What that basically uh, you know, gave regulators the authority to do was say, okay, we have institutions that fall outside of the banking sector, like insurance giant AIG or Lehman Brothers, that were previously under-regulated, extremely under-regulated, and were bailed out during the crisis. It gave this new... Uh, body the authority to designate those firms as systemically important, which subjects them to enhanced oversight and regulation that they did not face um, prior to the crisis. So those are some of the key uh, provisions that uh, Dodd-Frank implemented. So here we are almost a decade after the Great Recession and the the Dodd-Frank regulations have been put into place. Do things need to be changed? I think it's natural. It's a natural impulse to revisit a massive law, really complicated law, uh, ten years uh, after the crisis and seven years after you know that law itself was passed. But I think the important thing is, uh, you know, deregulation doesn't have to be the default setting. Now, throughout history, the further we get away from a financial crisis, uh, as the memory of that crisis and the memory of the cost of that crisis fades away there has been this default to undo those reforms. So our view uh, at Center for American Progress is, you know, if we're going to undergo this review of Dodd-Frank, then the real goal should be on strengthening 
financial regulations. You know, there's a, a real wealth of research that we document uh, in the report, I won't go through it here, that essentially shows financial stability is vital to economic growth. You know, banks that were better regulated, banks that had higher loss-absorbing cushions actually lend more throughout the economic cycle. And countries, there's been international research that shows that countries that regulate the banking system, you know, aggressively across the financial sector actually experience higher and less volatile GDP growth per capita. So we think, you know, if we want to focus on fine-tuning financial regulations with an eye towards economic growth, then we should actually be strengthening financial stability reforms. And there are several ways we outline uh, to do that uh, in, in the report. Uh, but I think the conversation uh, in D.C., both in the House, Senate, as well as the Trump administration, really has been focused on financial deregulation, undoing the reforms uh, that were implemented by Dodd-Frank. And that only makes us more vulnerable um, to a future crisis. Well, let's talk about some of those. In June, the House passed the Financial Choice Act, which has the backing of Donald Trump. It, it hasn't passed the Senate. What would the Financial Choice Act do, and what are the likely consequences? So the Financial Choice Act is probably the most uh, extreme uh, policy proposal we've seen uh, in this area uh, when looking at the House-Senate and Trump administration. It really would thoroughly dismantle Dodd-Frank. It, it would repeal the Volcker Rule, which is an important new requirement that got banks, uh, you know, back to the business of traditional uh, banking and out of high-risk trading activities, out of, you know, investing in hedge funds and private equity funds. Um, it would gut the Choice Act, would gut the CFPB. It would erode housing protections, would allow banks to opt out of a suite of financial regulations, um, it would also repeal that systemic risk, uh, the systemic risk authority that I talked about, that the Financial Stability Oversight Council has to designate these systemically important non-bank firms like insurance companies, uh, including AIG. Um, it would also repeal new tools that regulators were given to wind down massive complex banks um, to avoid bailouts and avoid Lehman-style bankruptcies. You know, when we talk about too big to fail, a lot of the policies that I talked about, whether it's capital requirements or stress testing, liquidity requirements, these all limit the chances of a financial crisis. But given a financial crisis, we're still going to need a way to wind down banks so we don't have to uh, resort to bailouts. And, and the Choice Act would actually uh, repeat, repeal that, uh, that new authority. Now, the Senate is considering action, but not that. What is the Senate considering doing and what impact would that have? So the Senate uh, bill that's being considered is uh, a more modest bill. It, it certainly doesn't go as far as the Financial Choice Act, but it's still highly concerning. Um, one of the reasons why it's uh, really concerning is uh, this bill has actually 10 members of the Democratic Caucus are currently co-sponsors, so the chances for passage are, are pretty high. Um, Dodd-Frank required that regulators pay really close attention and set enhanced regulations for banks with above $50 billion in assets, which are roughly the 38 largest banks in the United States out of 6,000. So it's a very small uh, number and focus really on the largest banks. Um, these enhanced requirements include capital, liquidity, living will, stress testing, all the things that I've mentioned previously. The centerpiece of this Senate bill that's being considered uh, would increase the threshold from $50 billion to $250 billion. So what does that mean? It would essentially deregulate about 25 of the largest 38 banks that combined hold about $3.5 trillion in assets. That's one-sixth of the banking sector. 
these banks took almost $50 billion in TARP bailout funds during the crisis. They're massive banks, and the failure of several of them during a period of, of significant stress would negatively impact the regional economies they serve and really could disrupt U.S. financial stability. I, I should mention that the bill also contains some housing provisions that we're concerned with and really includes only minor improvements uh, to consumer protection. And champions of financial reform, including Senator War- Warren, Senator Brown, um, other progressives are, are strongly op- opposed to this bill that's being considered. Now, your report looks at uh, a lot of different things, including what's being considered here, and it talks about self-regulation and its relation to economic growth. How is uh, self-regulation, which is what the Trump administration here is essentially proposing, and economic growth gone together in the past? Has it worked? has not worked in the past. You know, the, the line that we're hearing um, from the Trump administration is that Dodd-Frank is crushing banks, it's preventing banks from lending, it's hampering economic growth. I mean, we've even seen Trump personalize the issue and say that his friends can't get loans because of Dodd-Frank. Um, conservatives in the, in the House and Senate make similar claims on, on Dodd-Frank's impact on economic growth, and the fact is it's just not true. First of all, bank profits are at or near all-time highs right now. And after declining and flatlining during the crisis, lending's rebounded significantly at its highest levels ever. Um, Dodd-Frank certainly has not crushed economic growth. And on the contrary, financial crises have long been the most severe threat to economic growth. Um, so whether it's looking at the long-term erosion of the Glass-Steagall Act previously or, um, you know, several other instances where financial regulations have eroded, you know, it may juice bank profits for, you know, a brief period of time, but Taxpayers are the ones that are going to be holding the bag when things turn south. We're speaking with Greg Galzinas uh, from the Center for American Progress. We're talking about banking deregulation and what should or shouldn't be happening. Your report uh, goes into, you know, what should be done. So what should be done about the current banking regulations? And you've suggested that they should be strengthened. So how should they be strengthened? Sure. Well, we have a a few different ideas, and I encourage people to read our report, um, you know, to get a better sense of, of what we're proposing, but one of the ideas that we have are, are to increase bank capital requirements. So this is bank capital, uh, really the most fundamental um, tool that regulators have to limit the chances of financial crises. Capital cushions allow banks to absorb loss, losses during tough times and remain resilient um, and not fail. Uh, and so research shows that while bank capital levels really have improved since the financial crisis, they still remain at the low end uh, of what's appropriate to limit the chances of future financial crises while preserving lending. Um, you know, another idea we have uh, is to improve the Volcker Rule. We think regulators should be more transparent about how the rule is being implemented and enforced. Uh, there's been there's been really, very unfortunately, very little data made public on that front, and it's pretty unbelievable uh, to me and others that regulators plan to rewrite the Volcker Rule, which has been in effect for only two years without providing the public uh, with this transparency as to the rules implementation and enforcement. There are also some distinct uh, loopholes in the Volcker Rule that we think should be closed. Um, not to get too uh, into the weeds on that, but banks uh, have carve-outs in there for the trading of physical commodities, the trading of currencies, as well as something called merchant banking, which uh, looks a lot like private equity. Uh, private equity being excluded from or being banned by uh, the Volcker Rule, bank engagement in it at least. Um, and so we think closing those loopholes would, and establishing transparency, would really simplify uh, the rule and, and improve it. Um, you know, finally, we think actions can be taken 
uh, to reform short-term funding markets uh, to make banks resilient uh, to the risks of runs. So one of the things we saw during the financial crisis was that bank runs, which plagued traditional commercial banks prior to the addition of the FDIC uh, way back in the 1930s, it can happen to financial institutions outside the traditional banking sector. So these institutions, for example, Lehman Brothers, they would issue short-term debt and invest in long-term assets. But those short-term creditors can run, much like depositors at traditional com- commercial banks did before the FDIC. So some of our changes would try to um, to limit the, the chances of that happening and improve the resilience um, you know, for those short-term uh, funding markets. And so we think all of these uh, you know, ideas would actually strengthen uh, and build on the progress uh, of Dodd-Frank. And there are plenty of other ideas out there that would do so as well. So, the, you know, the thrust of our report really is focused on, um, you know, improving financial regulations and not defaulting to financial deregulation, which just has not worked out in the past. Now, you've mentioned that the Senate bill that's being considered is a little bit more bipartisan. There's some Democrats that are supporting it. It would seem to me that that might be the place that maybe some of those ideas that you've just talked about might get in there. Are any of these ideas uh, likely to find their way into the Senate bill? Unfortunately, uh, I don't believe so. Uh, We haven't had any success um, pushing those uh, into this bill. It it seems like this bill is focused on, quote-unquote, regulatory relief for financial institutions and is not focused on strengthening uh, the regulation of, of banks. Um, so the only areas where we've seen improvements uh, in this Senate bill uh, is con- on the areas of consumer protection. Um, but those changes, whether it's allowing people to have, uh, you know, one free credit freeze a year, you know, it, it's just crumbs compared to uh, the massive amounts of, uh, of deregulation that, you know, banks with between $50 billion and $250 billion in assets uh, will see as a result of the, uh, of the bill. All right. We've been speaking with Greg Gelzenis from the Center for American Progress. You can find the report he's talking about at AmericanProgress.org. Greg, thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed uh, speaking about these issues. Baby, it's cold outside, and because you're cooped up with other people inside, it's more likely you're going to catch a cold and take home some cold medicine. But there's a common ingredient in cold medicines that you might end up overdosing on if you're not too careful. We're going to talk with a clinical pharmacist about that next. Seasteads, the family-owned flooring business that's been serving the Twin Cities for 100 years, has plenty of carpet and sheet final stock to choose from and can help you with your wood and laminate needs too. Seasteads will come to your home, provide a free estimate, and professionally install their quality brand-name flooring products. For your next flooring project, call the trusted, experienced experts at Seasteads 651-224-5474, located across from the new Saints Stadium and online at seasteadscarpet.com. Downtown or Woodfire Grill in St. Paul is a perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Offering daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meats, exquisite pizza, and half-priced bottles of wine on Mondays and Tuesdays, except on Excel Energy Center event nights. Once you experience their cozy fireside dining, extensive wine list, and bar, you'll be back for more. Gift certificates available, located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking, or online at downtownerwoodfire.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shambot from Shambot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. 
we always offer a free exam and x-rays for new patients because we believe you shouldn't have to pay to find out what's wrong with your teeth. Call today. We're open early and late and Saturdays to fit your schedule. As my daughter Rachel says, If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. Hi, Matt McNeil here. Toyotathon is on. Head over to Rudy Luther Toyota as they celebrate their 40th year and check out the great deals. They're offering rebates on the all-new redesigned 2018 Camry. Check out the rebates on the RAV4. And did you know that both the Camry and the RAV4 have a hybrid version? Very impressive. Rudy Luther Toyota is the largest Toyota certified pre-owned dealer in the state. For all the Toyotathon specials, head to RudyLutherToyota.com or stop in today for Toyotathon at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Hello, this is Ellen Krug with Hidden Edges Radio on Sundays from 1 to 2 p.m. Join me this Sunday for an interview with Dale Grunke, the mayor of Delano, Minnesota, who will talk about how the city has come together following a racial hatred incident that involved swastikas and horrible names. Learn how Delano didn't run from the incident and instead leaned in to make the community more inclusive. Hidden Edges Radio, challenging, passionate, perspective-changing. On AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Saturdays at 1 p.m., you have a chance at a fresh start, a new beginning. Hi, everybody. This is Freddie Bell, host of New Beginnings. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, spirituality, and even entertainment. Every day is a chance for a fresh start. Join us Saturdays at 1 p.m. for New Beginnings with Freddie Bell on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Looking for a catering company that serves delicious food and is environmentally conscious? Look no further than Common Roots Catering. They provide compostable or reusable service wares for all events and food waste is composted. Common Roots is also proud to source from sustainable local farmers. And when Common Roots says local, they mean it. Only free-range and grass-fed meat and poultry raised within 250 miles of their kitchen is served. To learn more about Common Roots Catering and their values, check out commonrootscatering.com. Welcome back to the Mike McEntee Show. We've talked on this program about the problem of overdosing on prescription drugs, but there's also a risk of overdosing from non-prescription or over-the-counter remedies. Joining me to talk about that is Dr. Vernon, Veronica Vernon, a clinical pharmacy specialist and a member of the American Pharmacists Association. Uh, welcome to the program, Dr. Vernon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're, we're talking because it is the cold and flu season, and a lot of us are tempted to purchase something to get through that, you know, cold medicine, cough medicine. How, how many people end up actually doing that? Seven in ten people actually will use over-the-counter medications to treat their cold and flu symptoms each year. That's a, that's a lot of people. Is and, and the reason we're talking is because we're concerned about possibly overdosing on these. Is, is there danger in these uh, drugs just by using them? There can be a danger when you use more than what's recommended, take it too close together, or taking more than one product that contains acetaminophen. Acetaminophen is a common drug ingredient that works to relieve pain and reduce fever. It's found in more than 600 different over-the-counter and prescription medicines. So when you have a cold or you have 
the flu, oftentimes we'll go down the pharmacy aisle and try to pick a product that matches our symptoms, whether it's a cough or body aches or runny nose. And most of the time, those products will contain acetaminophen to help relieve pain and fever, but many people will pick up more than one product to try to treat their symptoms. So they may pick up Dayquil, they may pick up Excedrin, they may pick up brand name Tylenol, not realizing that that can be a cocktail for danger because you'll be getting more acetaminophen than what is recommended. So is the only way for me to avoid this is to look at the ingredient list and kind of go through the fine print and find acetaminophen or is there uh, some other way that's uh, easier to remember than just saying hey you know I got, I got to add up all the numbers here because it's it's what it's 4,000 milligrams is the uh, pr- the recommended daily dose of this? That is definitely correct. 4,000 milligrams in a 24-hour period is what's recommended by the Food and Drug Administration. So that's the level you don't want to go over. Acetaminophen is on the label of all the products that contain it if you just flip the bottle over. You can always ask your pharmacist if you're at a pharmacy purchasing those products. That is what we're trained for. We can help you pick the right product for your symptoms. And there's a great website called knowyourdose.org, which is from the Acetaminophen Awareness Coalition that has a list of common products that contain acetaminophen. You want to make sure you're only using one product at a time that contains acetaminophen, and that might mean you look at your prescription products that you're taking as well. Really? Because uh, prescriptions, what, what kind of prescriptions might contain that? I mean, just stuff for cold and flu, or is there something outside of that that might contain that? It's usually pain relievers that contain acetaminophen that are prescription only. Things like hydrocodone and acetaminophen, also known as Norco, or things like Percocet, which is oxycodone and acetaminophen. Hmm. So let's say I end up taking more than 4,000 milligrams of this stuff. What happens to me? What, what could happen to me? It's very rare, but what could happen is you could go into acute liver failure. This is extremely rare. It results in 100 to 150 deaths per year in individuals who unintentionally take too much acetaminophen. Most of the time, it's not an issue if you do it just once, but we want to make sure that you're not doing it at all because it's hard to say when acute liver failure could happen if you take too much acetaminophen. Is that something that could happen over time? I, you know, I, I OD a couple times on it and it doesn't do anything to me, but the third time and suddenly it's it's built up. Is it, because the liver basically uh, filters out a lot of stuff and and keeps a lot of stuff. I mean, is 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 this a buildup problem that might happen? It could, and it's hard to say what time it's going to happen. Chronic high use over time of acetaminophen, so using more than four thousand milligrams a day every day for an extended period of time will significantly increase your risk of liver failure, but it could happen just after a couple of times. It's hard to say. Our bodies are amazing, but it's also unpredictable to determine when you're going to have that reaction to too much acetaminophen. So it's important just to make sure you're taking no more than 4,000 milligrams in a day and always talking to your pharmacist and other healthcare providers about it. And some of us, you know, have to take care of the kids. The kids get colds. You know, you send the kids off to any place, and they come home full of germs, and they're always going to be mm-hmm. sick during the winter. <laughs> and so a lot of us are, you know, having to dish out the, the stuff for the kids. Is there a different level that we need to worry about with the kids when we're dealing with acetaminophen? 
That's a great question. And most children actually at age 11 start self-medicating. So it's important to teach your children about this too if they're in that middle school, upper elementary school age about safe use of medications. You should follow the directions on the box. If your child's under the age of two, you should ask a healthcare provider, such as a physician or a pharmacist, about how to dose the acetaminophen and if it's right for your child. But follow the directions on the box. The standard dose for everyone, adults and children, is no more than 4,000 milligrams in a day. I will say in children, we dose the medication based off of their weight. So it's important to just talk to your physician and pharmacist about that and make sure you know your weight when you're talking about acetaminophen dosing. All right. Well, that's uh, some good advice here to think about because it is cold and flu season. A lot of us are going to be purchasing these products. We've been talking to Dr. Veronica Vernon, who is a clinical pharmacy specialist and a member of the American Pharmacists Association. She knows her stuff. I appreciate you helping us out today. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And if you haven't already, I encourage everyone to get your flu shot this season. And that's our show for today. Um, we talked about this at the beginning of the show, but I just want to uh, remind people that we were off the air a little bit, not a little bit, we were off the air for quite a bit of time over the holidays because we had some power issues here at the station. We are back up. We have not gone away. We are going to be here. Don't worry about that. But I know some folks got, got concerned, but we are with you. AM 950 is going to be around. Um, but we're glad to have you as listeners. But I want to bring that up for just a moment. Because progressive media is really important. And if we don't support progressive media, and I'm not talking about AM 950 because, you know, you listen to us and we're glad you support us, glad you listen, uh, you, you know, go to our advertisers and tell them that, uh, you know, you support us because that makes all the difference in the world. But if you don't support other progressive media, it possibly could go away. And I bring that up because the uptake it could use your support. The uptake here is heading into the end of the year, and you can make a tax-deductible donation to make sure the uptake is around for another year. And the uptake is an organization that provides a lot of transparency and live streaming of political events. We use their um, material here on the air often. Uh, you know, I am uh, with the uptake, so obviously I've got an interest in this. But if you are able to help out the uptake, this is a great time of year to do it because it is a tax deduction. You may not be able to do that next year, depending on your taxes. And you can just do that by going over to theuptake.org slash donate or just theuptake.org. Find the big donate button. Get to it before the end of the year. Make a donation. And uh, everybody, it does you some good. It does uh, does the uptake some good. And it does uh, everybody in the entire state some good because we continue to have that transparency. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're back here tomorrow. I'm Mike McEntee. See you later.